All right, so uh, like I said, we're going to be looking at John 15, so I'm going to read through it real quick. It's going to be verses 1 through 11. And I don't know if we have it on the screen or not. Cool. Uh, so it says, uh, John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Alright, so that is a lot to break down. Uh, so, uh, this is how we're going to break it down. Uh, the first thing is, who is Jesus? Uh, in verse 1, he tells us that he is the vine, and his father is the vine dresser. Um, we are going to look at what that means when Jesus claims that he's the true vine. Okay? The second is he gives us a command to abide in him, in verses 4 and 5. Uh, when he gives us this command, uh, the command is to abide in him, and the result is that we bear fruit. How do we, he's telling us how to respond to this truth about him being the true vine. Okay? Uh, and then the third thing that we're going to look at is what's the big picture? Uh, why is Jesus giving this teaching? Why is he giving us this analogy? Uh, and we'll look at, in verse 8, it's for the glory of the Father. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. And that he get, tells us all of this so that we may have his joy, and we may have, um, it says, in verse 11, we, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The full joy of Christ. So, uh, he sets up this analogy for us, right? The, that he is the vine. Uh, Jesus Christ is the vine, and his Father is the vine dresser. God the Father is the vine dresser, okay? And we are the branches that come out from this vine. There's two types of branches. There's branches that bear fruit, those are good branches, and then what I'm going to call pseudo-branches. These are branches that do not bear fruit, they're cut off, thrown in the fire and burned. Okay? This is the analogy that he sets up for us. Uh, and so what is this fruit? Right? Uh, so just to kind of give you a context before we start throwing that word around throughout the rest of the night. In Galatians 5, uh, we're told about the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Um, in Philippians 1, we're told that the fruit of righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. So this fruit is something that is, is righteousness and it can be only found in Christ. In Romans 6, we're told that this fruit leads to sanctification, and the end of sanctification is eternal life. Right? So throughout the New Testament, we have these themes of fruit. Right? But in John 15, we're told that these are things that glorify the Lord and that make His name great. When we bear fruit, we glorify the name of the Lord. So that is the fruit that we're going to be talking about. Okay, so where, where is John 15? In context, right? Uh, so Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's just left the upper room 
um, the upper room is where you had the last, uh, the Passover meal with his disciples. disciples. Uh, so he has now left that room. Uh, Judas has left the group by now. It is only the 11 disciples remaining, and they're walking to uh, what's called the Garden of Gethsemane. So now if you're not familiar with this story, uh, Jesus has entered Jerusalem, um, and he has come to Jerusalem to be crucified. Uh, so he has come to Jerusalem to be crucified and to pay for the sins of the world, um, and this is where we find ourselves when Jesus is giving this teaching. He is giving this teaching to the remaining 11 disciples on the way to the garden, where he will be betrayed by Judas, one of his disciples, who has left. Um, so that, that, that is where we find ourselves. Uh, as you can imagine, when you're spending your last moments with someone, you're not exactly going to be talking about the weather. Uh, this is going to be something that Jesus is really trying to emphasize to his disciples, right? This is the final teaching, really, that he's going to give them. After three and a half years of walking with these men, mm -hmm. these are the 11 that remain with him. And this is what he chooses to tell them. And so he says in, in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. So what does that mean? When Jesus says, I am the true vine, he could have just said, I am the vine. Right? If this was just going to be an analogy about you know, how we are branches of this vine, there's a father divine dresser. But he says, I am the true vine. So there's something that will be in the disciples' minds about a vine that is not the true vine, right? So in order to kind of get the context for what Jesus is really claiming here, we have to go back to the Old Testament to see what would have been in the disciples' brains when he says, I'm the true vine. What, it, what is this pseudo-vine that he's talking about? This kind of fake vine. What, what is this, right? He's talking about Israel. Israel, the people that God has chosen, to bless the nations, Israel, the people that God has set apart for himself. And in Psalm 80, it says this, You've brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. Skip down a couple verses. It says, Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along pluck its fruit? In Ezekiel 19, he's talking to the leaders of Israel, and he says, Your mother, being Israel, was like a vine in a vineyard planted by water. Fruitful, full of branches by reason of abundant water. Its strong stems became ruler's scepters. It towered aloft among thick boughs. It was seen in its height with the mass of its branches. But the vine was plucked up in fury, cast down to the ground. The east wind dried up its fruit, and they were stripped off and withered. We're given this image of this vine that is planted in a fertile land, right? This is Israel. He's taken, God has taken this people Israel out of Egypt. It's a story that many of you are familiar with, and he's planted it, right? In Isaiah 5, we're told, it says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I had not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Skip down a couple verses. It says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The men of Judah are his pleasant planting. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. 
in Jeremiah 2. For long ago, I broke your yoke, burst your bonds. You said, I will not serve. He's talking about Israel. Yes, on every high hill and under every green tree, Israel, you bowed down like a whore. I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. We see that this is not a vine dresser problem that Israel has. Their vine dresser has done everything. The Father has done everything for Israel so that it could flourish in this land. He's taken it out of Egypt. He's provided for them manna from the sky. He's parted the sea for them. They have come into a land that is fertile so they can thrive. And all they have to do is rely on the Lord in order to succeed. But what do they do? They go away. The Lord gave Israel everything it needed to flourish, but it yielded wild grapes. When it says they yielded wild grapes, these grapes aren't good for anything. I, God says, I planted this vine in Israel, and it yielded wild grapes. Why did it yield wild grapes? Because men, in and of themselves, cannot produce things of eternal value. We cannot produce things in and of ourselves of eternal value. Israel shows us this throughout their whole history. When they follow God, He makes them fruitful. He blesses the nations through them. But when they turn around, it says, Israel, you bow down like a whore. When they turn to these false gods, when they go to follow Baal and all these foreign gods, they suffer for it. They produce wild grapes. Israel could not measure up by themselves. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's declaring the gospel to these disciples. He's saying, this vine that you're thinking of wasn't it, but I'm the true vine. I can produce life. Everything, all these Jewish leaders that are about to come after you, they think that they can produce life in and of themselves by following the law and by reciting the prophets. In Matthew 5, Jesus says to them, I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. You can find life in me. No longer do you have to try and find life outside of the vine, because I'm the true vine, and I'm the only one that can bring you life. No longer, Israel, do you have to slave after your own passions. I am the true vine. In Isaiah 64, we're told that our, work, our good works are like filthy rags in comparison to the Lord. Even the good ones. We in and of ourselves cannot produce fruit that is good enough for God. Only God can produce fruit that is of eternal value. And how does He do it? Through the vine of Jesus Christ. So how does this apply to us? Because I know for myself, I'm still as bad as Israel. And I can't produce these good grapes, right? I still fall short every day. Every day, I fall short. And I in and of myself cannot produce anything of eternal value or anything of significance that's going to last. If you'll read with me in verse 3. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. 
Jesus tells his disciples, they're already clean because of the word that he's spoken to them. And so what is this word? This word is this. In Romans 3, we're told that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Israel, us, it's no different. All of us. We did not measure up to God's standard. And in Romans 6, we're told that the penalty for this, the wages what we have earned for this falling short, is death. That is the thing we have sinned against a holy God. And because we have sinned against a holy God, we deserve a just punishment for that. And that punishment is death. But the good news that is found in Jesus Christ is this. In 1 John 4, verse 9, it says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. In Hebrews 10, starting in verse 14, it says, For by one sacrifice, Jesus Christ, God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, He says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts. I will write it on their minds. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. These disciples, in verse 3, he tells them that they are already clean because of the word he has spoken to them. Because he has cleansed them. Jesus Christ goes throughout his whole life righteous, perfect, where we could not be. He's the perfect sacrifice lamb, as he tells us in Hebrews 10. Through the work of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, he's defeated death, and he has transferred that onto us. The fact that we can be called righteous before God, not of anything of our own power. Remember, we produce bad grapes. We produce bad grapes, but... God is giving us, He's saying that you are clean, not because of anything that you have done, but because I love you, and only by my grace, because you don't deserve this. You don't deserve this chance, again. Because even if you, it were given to you, you wouldn't add up. And so only by the grace of God are we given this gift in Jesus Christ, that we've been forgiven, we've been cleansed. And who is this for? In Luke 5, Jesus tells us that he did not come for the righteous, but for the sinners who need, repent, who need to repent. That's all of us. Me, you, all of us. We are the sinners who need to repent. That's who Jesus came for. Just as he came for Israel. When he says, I am the true vine. I am the life. You were once dead. I have life. What is the next thing that he says? Abide in me. If you read with me in verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So now in light of this truth that Jesus Christ has given us, that he's the true vine, what are we supposed to do about it? Right? The command is to abide in Him. So, a lot of times when I hear this word abide, I think of this super pseudo-spiritual 
connotation, you know, where it's like, if I can find the, the perfect state of being to be with Christ, then, then I can finally be with Him. But I believe that is a poor, poor misrepresentation of what Christ is saying here. The word that He uses in the original language, it means, it means stay, it means make your dwelling with, it means remain. When Jesus is saying, abide in me, He's saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Remember the context that he's giving this to the disciples in. He's walking to the garden. They have no clue what's going on. He's giving this teaching, stay with me. Because what's about to happen is I'm about to be betrayed. I'm about to be hung up on a cross. And I know you that you've been with me for the past three and a half years, but I need you to stay with me. Not because I need you, but because you need me. In John 1, we're told that Jesus was there in the beginning when God created the world. He was a part of it. He knows us. He created us. He knows that He is the only way that we can have life. The only way that we can have life is through Him. And that's what He's telling His disciples right here. I'm about to go. But I need you to stay with me because staying with me is the only way that you're going to be able to sustain this life that I have been giving you. The biggest mistake that Israel made in the Old Testament over and over again, going away from God. Every time they went away from God, everything came crashing down. She says, stay with me. Remain in me. Make your dwelling with me. And so how do we do this? How do we abide? We have the ability to abide in Christ through the Holy Spirit. We could not produce any fruit, remember, out of our own volition. We abide only through the Spirit. In John 3, we're told that when we're saved, we're born again. We're born of the Spirit, right? What does that mean? That means we have the Holy Spirit God living inside of us. Just before John 15 and John 14, Jesus tells his disciples this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live, and in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. We are now able to produce this fruit because Christ, through the Holy Spirit, lives in us. Okay? The command is that we abide in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the result is that we produce fruit. Right? So practically, how does this play out? Like if I would say, how do I abide in Christ in an everyday context? It's everything that you would think of. It's remaining in Christ. It's staying with Him in prayer. It's staying with Him reading the Word. It's staying with Him being a part of the body of Christ. 
What Christ is saying here is not anything that's terribly complicated. It's just a plea to say, hey, stay in me because I know the only place that you can find life is in me, so I need you to stay there. Not for my own good, but for your own good. So now, unfortunately, we do have to address these false branches that Jesus is talking about in verse 2 and verse 6. In verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And then in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. So who are these people? These are people who have not been born again of the Spirit. They do not have the Spirit of God inside of them. We're given examples of this throughout the New Testament. Uh, the first one's in John 6. Uh, Jesus gives kind of a difficult teaching, and everyone said, and it says that many stopped walking with him. Okay? These people were not in Christ. In John 8, there was a group who believed that just because they were the descendants of Abraham, that they would be in Christ. And he tells them, unless, unless you yourself are in me, then you have no part of me. And our most obvious example is in John 13, when Judas leaves the group to go betray Christ. And friends, I want to be very careful where I step here, but also very clear. Is that God the Father and Jesus Christ don't care about your secondary connections to Him. When Jesus calls us to abide in Him, He is not asking us to know someone who abides in Him. He is not asking us to stay around the vine or close enough. He is asking us to abide in the vine. We have someone as, as close to Jesus Christ as Judas, right? That was not in the vine. Just because you are coming into a church building, or just because you have all friends who are abiding in Christ, does not mean that you yourself are abiding in Christ. Now I encourage you to examine yourself. Examine yourself. Am I in the vine? Am I following Christ? Am I actually in the vine? Because there's so much life to be found in the vine. And it's never too late to come into the vine. So examine yourself. So back to our good branches. In verse 2, In every branch that does bear fruit, he proves that it may bear more fruit. So the idea of this word, this prune word that is used here, it's like, it's a cleansing, it's a purging. The idea is that the father of the vine dresser, he's, he's doing what he has to do to these branches so that they bear fruit, right? Like this isn't a, um, this isn't a just like recreational activity that God the Father has got going on here, right? A vine dresser has to pay very, very close attention to the vine that he's caring for so that it bears fruit, right? Remember the, the analogy. We are bearing fruit through the power of the vine, Jesus Christ, the only one who can produce life, and God the Father, he is the one who's shaping this, right? He's the one caring for this, he's shaping it, he is the reason that we're able to produce more fruit. But what does it say? It says, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay, 
So I want you to read with me in 1 Peter 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is unperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're not rejoicing when we go through trials because we are enjoying the trial. I think we can all agree on that. Mm. We're rejoicing when we go through trials because if we are going through a spiritual trial, if there is war within our souls, if there's a spiritual war within our soul, then we are in Christ. We rejoice when we go through trials because it is proof that we are in Christ. It doesn't matter what we're going through. In this, in this, back to the analogy, it doesn't matter if it's dry season. It does not matter if it's a downpour. It does not matter what is happening outside of the vine. Because you know, at the end of the day, you're in the vine. So it doesn't matter what all is happening to you. The Father may be shaping you, and is shaping you, actually, so that you can bear more fruit. The point of these trials is to let you bear more fruit. You don't rejoice in the trial because the trial sucks. You rejoice in the trial because it's proof that you're in Christ. So no matter what we're going through, we know at the end of the day, my hope is in Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to find life outside of this vine that I'm in. What branch gets life outside the vine? No branch gets life outside the vine. We have to find our life in the vine itself. And this is why we rejoice through trials, because we're always having life in the vine, right? We're able to withstand that trial because we were never finding our joy outside the vine in the first place. And this process doesn't end. Because we will never be fully Christ-like, because we will never bear full fruit, if you will, we'll always be pruned so we can bear more fruit. This isn't a punishment from God that He is pruning you to bear more fruit. He's making you more like Christ. This is why we rejoice. And so what is this fruit? It says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in Christ, you will bear fruit. Now this fruit, it's, it's things of eternal value that are the direct results of abiding in the vine. These are things that you could not produce by yourself, right? That's what this fruit is. And we can't boast about this fruit because we weren't the ones who produced it, right? It's only through the power of the vine that this fruit was produced. And so why is this fruit produced? We're told in verse 8. In verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. By this my Father is glorified. When we bear fruit, we are glorifying the Lord. This fruit isn't for ourselves. 
A branch doesn't bear fruit so that it can eat it. It bears fruit for the vine dresser. Okay, this, this fruit that we bear, we go through these trials so we can bear fruit, through the power of the vine, so that the Father can be glorified. The goal of this fruit is not so we can live off of it ourselves. If we are trying to live off of our own fruit and say, oh, well, I'm producing the fruit, and so therefore I should be rewarded with this, that's, you've missed the point. The point of your fruit is to glorify the Father. The Father can do with it as He will. You're not rejoicing just because of the fruit that you produce. You're rejoicing because you find life in the vine. Right? And so what is the whole purpose of this? In verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus tells us that He's in the vine, right? Or He is the vine. And He gives us this whole analogy, this whole thing that He just went through. I am the true vine. I have life. You once were dead. Without me, you would still be dead. I am the vine. Find life in me. Abide in me. Produce fruit that glorifies the Father. All of this so that our joy may be full. Remember, He's created us. He's not making this up. He knows what's going to bring us joy because He designed us. He knows that we will have the joy of Jesus Christ. The joy of Jesus Christ in us, and that that joy will be full when we produce fruit. He has told us this whole analogy, not just so we can store it in the back of our brain and say, oh, that's a nice way to think about that. He has given us this whole analogy so that our joy may be full. And it's a joy that's not affected by outside circumstances. Remember, now that we know that Jesus Christ, the vine, the true vine, gives life, this is, a, this, this is life. Right? All of Jesus' I am statements, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd who has come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. Right after this, Jesus gives his disciples his last exhortation. He says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore remember that the world hates you. In the next chapter in John 16, he says, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Our joy is full because we have the one who has overcome the world as our life source. No longer are we trying to find life from things that don't give life. Mm -hmm. I do it all the time. 
Made a bad grade on test. <laughs> Down for the whole day. Why am I trying to find life in my own performance about my grades? I'm not telling you to stop caring about your grades. I'm telling you to stop finding life in anything outside of Christ. Your friends, your family, your grades, good things, not life sources. Only find life in Christ. He has designed us. He has told us these things so that our joy may be full. I am the true vine. Abide in me. Remain in Christ. If we stay connected to the vine, we're going to bear fruit. God will be glorified. What should be our chief goal, the glorification of the Lord, to bring glory to the name of the Lord, this happens when we bear fruit. How do we bear this fruit? We abide in the vine. If we stay connected to this vine, we bear fruit, God is glorified in all of this so that our joy will be full. So let's summarize, yeah. In verse 1, Jesus says, I'm the true vine. I'm the fulfillment of everything you can't be, everything that Israel wasn't. I'm the only way that you can have life. You once once were dead, but I have given you life. Okay, number two, as his disciples, what is, what is the command that he has given us in light of this truth? Abide in me. Abide in me. The result of this is that we will bear fruit. It's not the other way around. It's not bear fruit and therefore abide in me. Right? The branch can only produce fruit from the power of the vine. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. You can't bear fruit outside of the vine. And he says, abide, stay with me. No matter what's happening outside of the vine, stay in the vine. This is the only way that you're going to find life. And so this, this whole process, it brings glory to the Lord. When we abide in Christ, our joy is made full and the Lord is glorified. And so we're left with this, that a disciple of Jesus Christ abides in the Lord. He makes his dwelling with the Lord. And he finds his life. He doesn't look anywhere else for life because he knows he can't find anywhere else. A true disciple of Jesus Christ finds life in Christ by abiding in Christ. Y'all pray with me.